This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, EduFolk. It is Lucy Newberger with you, only very briefly before I hand over to the, to the delightful Mr. Mark Creasy. Mark this evening is going to be talking to Julie Rees, a head teacher, and they're going to be talking all things headship. So this should be very exciting for those of you who are interested in maybe becoming a head teacher or already are head teachers and want to connect with other head teachers. I think it's going to be very, very exciting. So I'm going to sit back, listen in and enjoy. So, Mr. Mark Creasy, over to you. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Great stuff. Thanks ever so much, Lucy. Um, I know that Julie's just um, getting ready to come on and uh, join, and I'm really looking forward to um, tonight's show. Before, uh, whilst we're waiting for Julie to join and uh, for give everyone a chance to come through, I just wanted to um, read a couple of adverts. have teamed up with the Witherslack Group to bring you a fantastic face-to-face meetup in Manchester next month. Tickets are free with lunch included and you'll be met with a host of amazing speakers. Sign up for Your Voice now at witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash Your Voice 2022. Hi, I'm Charlie Burley, the Teacher's Health Coach, and I want to talk to you about the first ever health and wellbeing event for educators. Rewriting Wellbeing. It's a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at your nutrition, movement, mindset, workload and wellbeing in school. You'll hear from our incredible lineup of speakers including Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger and many more. There'll be talks, workshops and time to network with like-minded colleagues. We'll look after you all day with brunch, lunch and all the refreshments. You'll get to meet our incredible speakers and our amazing team of ambassadors from the education space. It's a non-profit event with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity EdSupport. This isn't one to miss. I look forward to seeing you there on the 22nd of October at Etc Venues St Paul's in London. You can search Rewriting Wellbeing on the Eventbrite website to find out more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. A London council has waded into the ongoing debate over free school meals by writing to the government calling for the eligibility threshold for secondary school children to be almost tripled. 
It is currently set at £7,400, but the letter from Southwark Council suggests a rise to £20,000 per year. The letter, quoted in the Evening Standard, calls on the Secretary of State for Education, Kit Malthouse, to act now to avert a calamitous hunger crisis. It urges the government to initiate universal free school meals for primary age pupils alongside the raise of income threshold for secondary pupils. The letter coincides with calls from Feed the Future, a coalition of campaigning organisations coordinated by the Food Foundation, for the government to extend free school meals to all children living in poverty in England. This appeal is also in line with national food strategy recommendations, which were released earlier this year. STV News reports on how teachers, parents and young people from across Scotland are to be asked for their views on plans to reform the country's education system. A consultation has been launched as part of an independent review of qualifications and assessments, which was first announced in 2021. The review is being led by Louise Hayward, Emeritus Professor at Glasgow University, and it will provide advice for ministers to consider in March 2023. It is hoped the consultation will gather opinions on the balance between exams and other forms of assessment, as well as how a wider range of learners' achievements can be recognised. The consultation will close on December the 16th this year. Professor Haywood said that the reviews of qualifications and assessment offers Scotland an opportunity to look to the future, whilst Education Minister Shirley-Anne Somerville said the review and consultation process had a clear purpose in improving experiences and outcomes in education. In Northern Ireland, two primary schools have created an animation focusing on children's mental health. The animation is called Our We Thoughts and Feelings and was created by pupils from Elm Grove and Christ the Redeemer Primary Schools. The animation was created through Our Generation, funded by an EU Peace 4 project and led by Action Mental Health. The project also received funding from the Executive Office. The project aims to build positive relations and emotional resilience in children and young people. Pupils completed the Better Together programme, learning about friendships, empathy and breathing techniques to help manage feelings. The animation workshops were held in both schools with children travelling between the east and west side of the city. The objective of the Our Generation project is growing up better together and is currently being delivered on both sides of the border. Its core aim is to build positive relations and emotional resilience in communities impacted by the troubles. Earlier this month, we reported on the three dads walking as they campaigned to get suicide prevention on the school curriculum in all four home nations. One of the three dads, Mike Palmer, who lost his daughter to suicide, has now won a Pride of Britain Special Recognition Award. Mike and the other two dads, Andy Airy and Tim Owen, have secured 127,000 signatures for their online petition, which should now prompt a debate in the House of Commons. The Pride of Britain Awards will be broadcast on ITV on the 27th of October. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
Hello, this week I'm going to talk about the power of a like. You know that little thumbs up symbol or the little red heart? In the news, young people are finding a reply to a message with a thumbs up as annoying and are looking to avoid using it. Why? Well, you pour your heart out, take the time to construct, punctuate, even find a gift that matches the mood to get a thumbs up returned faster than the time it takes to read the message. Laughy face emojis are another questionable reply. Are you one of these people? And do you need to consider how you reply to messages or not? Before we get all emoji and all, oh, see what I did there. I would like to share the true power of a like. I don't have that many followers on Twitter. It's always a nice surprise when I take a look to see someone has liked something I've said. However, this week, I had the best like of my life. I was asked to be keynote on the ICT for Education conference in Manchester. And while I was there, I took a selfie with Professor Miles Berry, who is Professor of Computing and Education at the University of Roehampton and has lots of kudos in the computing world. When I checked on Twitter later that day, I saw that none other than Martin Dugimas, founder and CEO of Moodle, Moodle is an open source virtual learning platform, he had liked my tweet. Martin Dugimas is one of my computing heroes and he liked my tweet. I do think actually he was liking the fact that Miles was tagged into it, but I'm just going to brush over that part. The point I'm making here is liking and reacting is a powerful thing. It may be annoying that you get a heart or a thumbs up or an okay hand back, but you got a reply. Acknowledgement that I have this and thanks for sending. Acknowledgement that I'm busy and we'll read this later. So yes, sometimes liking a message may be seen as a lazy way out, but is it not better than getting nothing back at all? I'd love to hear your thoughts on the emoji response. In fact, I'll be tweeting about this this week. Please like it or even take the time to reply. As always, tag in at TT Radio 2022. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So it is the uh, last late Wednesday late show before half term. I will be taking a break next week because it's half term and I'll be recharging my batteries and uh, looking forward to some time off uh, there and enjoying some time with my family. But I could not end this half term's um, shows with a better guest, I feel. Um, and Julie Reese is a friend of mine. I will say that she is... Um, probably the head teacher, co-head teacher of my favourite school. I've never worked for Julie, but I've got to say I, she's head teacher of one of my favourite schools I've ever been in, and we'll talk about that through this evening's show. It's great to see some of you back joining us again this evening. I know that lots of you have been part of my show since the start, and I'm very, very grateful to you. And um, For those of you that are new, um, I've sort of like had a bit of a theme coming through our shows, and the show has been looking, what we've looked at was we started off with a show all about um, advice we'd give to new teachers. That led because of the conversation to, did we really need to have a revolution um, in education and how we could do things differently? And then from there, um, we saw what people were saying what they would like to do if they were the education secretary. And we did a show all about that, um, which has then led to a few shows. So um, three weeks ago, we, ha uh, we had um, Roy Layton on the show, and he was sharing all about how he would change education with the violence that goes on in schools and how we would uh, have a more positive approach through 
a peaceful approach. Then last week, following up, we then had uh, the delightful Krista Hazel on the show talking about why MFL matters so much at this time, um, probably more than at any other time. And following the theme of actually how we could do things differently in school, I thought it was perfect opportunity to look at the challenge of headship because one of the things, one of the statistics, and I would say possibly one of the unwritten statistics that we don't tend to hear, we hear about the retention and recruitment crisis of teachers, but it is the headship crisis. And our country is sort of heading for um, a disaster with headship and where we could possibly go. And so... I thought, who better than to speak to Julie Reese, who's a co-head teacher, she's an RLE consultant, she's a, a co-active coach, and she's an accredited um, consultant. We're going to talk an awful lot this evening through the experiences that Julie's had, the things that she can share. But as I say every week, remember, this is your show. Please do feel free to send in messages. Do feel free to um, ask to speak um, because this show works best when it's your contributions and you taking part. Um, and obviously, it's one of those things that, although we were talking about rising to the challenge of headship, we will be talking about leadership um, in all its aspects, really, throughout the show. And I suppose given the past, well, I'd say the past couple of weeks, but looking at the news before I came to the show, the past couple of hours, the challenge of leadership isn't only within schools. Um, and it's obviously very present and pertinent within the whole um society and certainly in our government at the moment so let's um welcome julie to the show uh julie i can see that you're there as a listener um lucy hopefully we've got a um a speaker request there for julie so i can get julie into the show and uh speaking as well she seems to have just dropped out the space mark i'm hoping she's going to find her way well, back I guess, i've just seen that as well okay well i'll i'll just um i'll just fill a little bit bear with me i will sort no it. problem so just whilst we're um talking about that so just so for those of you that maybe um hopefully you all saw the card that um was posted to advertise um julie being on the show and we're gonna look in particular this evening um about as a head teacher, how do you maintain your core focus? Um, also, the other thing is, how do you maintain your moral compass? And the final one, and something I, I've lots of head teachers that I've worked with, is how do you maintain a sense of worth? And I think that those three questions I'll be um, looking at with Julie and exploring um, throughout. And if you've got any personal experiences you would wish to share, then please do. I can see from the people that are listening we've got a range of people that have got um different experiences leadership um experiences so with uh julie's experience you can obviously ask any questions i always put out at this moment it's worth remembering um to think about the sensitivities around your school i can see julie's um come back so no doubt lucy would be sending her a speaker invite um all over it just kind of just uh just getting it back in for you mark we're yeah. hopefully uh there we go we got it perfect we got there it. we go so without any further ado let me welcome uh the lovely julie reese julie thank you so much for joining me this evening julie you'll need to unmute yourself 
Hi, Mark. I'm here. Sorry, a little bit of a technical issue, but I'm here. You haven't got to worry, Julie. Don't worry. For the first show that I did, as Lucy probably remembers, I, I spent the first 10 minutes not on my phone. I was on my computer. So Lucy had to fill for 10 minutes all by herself without me. So please don't apologise. Um, so anyway, Julie, lovely to um, have you on the show. Thank you so much for agreeing to be here and giving up your time this evening. We've got lots of people in the show and there'll be others um, joining throughout, I know. And we've got a range of people with different leadership experiences. So ho hopefully they'll be getting in contact and asking you questions as well as just listening. Um, so let, can we just start off, Julie? Tell us a little bit. I gave a little bit of your bio that was on the guest card, but tell us about you know, being a co-head teacher, the role, the role that you've currently got at the moment, please. Okay, so I'm very fortunate um, to be co-head teacher with the wonderful Rachel Usher at Ledbury Primary School in Herefordshire. Um, I have been full-time head teacher there between 2006 and 2021. Um, so going to a co-headship was going to be new. And I'm very fortunate my governors agreed that uh, both Rachel and I could share the headship. I'm three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So my half term starts tonight and Rachel takes on Thursday and Friday. But the most beautiful thing about it is Rachel's been one of my deputies um, for a very long time now. So um, we have very, very similar values, similar visions, similar strategies. Um, but we're able to support and, and challenge each other as well because we have that level of trust with each other. Um, so I feel very privileged. I have the best job in the world. Absolutely. And I think that and I think that's um, absolutely fabulous. And I don't know if you picked up before you dropped out, I was saying that, you know, having visited your school, how much I absolutely adore Ledbury Primary. It's an absolutely fabulous school, beautiful part of the world as well. So any of you that's never been up that part of the world, I would highly recommend it. But um, I suppose a good place to start, and we're going to obviously talk through everything that we've looked at and I um, publicised, Julie, but I suppose one of the best things to start is as a head teacher, you say, you know, you were head uh, a sole head teacher for 15 years at Levery before the co-headship. What changes would you see? Because we're talking about, you know, the challenge of headship, but mm. I would suggest that, you know, that period of time you've, you know, witnessed an awful lot. Listeners will know that I've talked about my own personal journey, that my education as a child and as a, as a teenager was under the Conservatives. I qualified as a teacher and became a teacher under the Labour government, and then I moved from secondary to primary under the current Conservative government. So there's been a lot of changes over that time. What um, changes would you say there's been for you as a head teacher? Yes, most definitely. Well, I, before I was head teacher at Lebro, I was head teacher at another school as well, Clehonga Primary. So I've been a head for 20 years now. Um, and the first thing I'd say that you've alluded to is in my view education should be taken outside of politics um, because the changes that happen are detrimental to the profession because a new um, party come in or new perspective comes in and we have to change immediately you know what we're doing so um, those listeners who remember during the Labour government we had every child matters as an agenda and we felt that this was a really positive move for all of the children. Um, it put families at the heart of what we were doing. We had children's centres. We were really thinking about early years education. 
Um, and since then, there have been so many rapid changes, particularly with regards to the curriculum and the expectations in the curriculum. And now we're at this remembering more, knowing more stage with the children, which um, there are huge expectations around. And I truly believe in, in rigour and high expectations. But when they keep moving the goalposts uh, with regard to what we're supposed to be doing as teachers, it's challenging. It's challenging for heads. It's challenging for leaderships and it's, it's very challenging for teachers who are in that classroom every day um, trying to know what the, the goalposts are. And, 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 and absolutely. And I think, you know, that. So, is um, yes, very, yeah. very demand. And, and with that, I mean, and, and this is a fairly personal one because, um, as Lucy knows, but not, I don't think anybody else does, I've just finished two days of being uh, at our school, being going through Ofsted. So how has that been a chat? How has that changed that you've seen? Because that's be that would be very different, I would imagine, from when you first started as a head teacher. Oh my goodness. Well, my first um offset was back in the nineties when I was the deputy head of a large school mark. And believe it or not, that any listeners who were around at that time as well. Um, I think we probably had eight Ofsted inspectors at that time who came in um to observe us. I was observed um, probably two or three times throughout the week. It was a Monday to Friday inspection. It was um, six months of preparation going in at weekends as well. Um, whole different ball game whatsoever. Um, I think the system itself, it, it, you know, the fact that they come in for one or two days, you don't get any notice. It, it's less pressure in that way. Um, because we're not in there every weekend, um, you know, ensuring that all the paperwork is all ready uh, and it feels more real now. Um, but going through all the different frameworks has been challenging because, again, the goalposts are moved. Um, what I like, I haven't experienced this current inspection, so it'll be interesting to talk to you. But from what I can glean about the current framework, it is more about what's happening live in the classrooms. Um, the data is taken into consideration, but it's not the driving force. And I believe that um, we are looking at children's progress, what they're capable of, and what we are doing in terms of teaching, learning, and subject leadership. And as long as that is followed and it's um, done in a constructive way, then Ofsted should be welcomed. Um, as, you know, and safeguarding does have to be a priority. Um, however, when it can be, and I do know this, it can be absolutely an, a nightmare for some schools. And um, it's all dependent on the inspector you get, isn't it? Because they're all different personalities, just as we are. Um, so uh, uh, how was your experience, Mark? Um, well, it, it's been interesting. Um, I've got to say, I mean, the, the one... It, it, you hope you sort of like hope that it's going to be go well. I mean, we had um, so we had two inspectors on the first day, um, and then the lead inspector, just the lead inspector, stay. Um, thing to remember is I'm now in a middle school, so it's slightly different. Um, but the, so the two inspectors there on the first day, their focus was English and maths, which is fairly standard. Although we found out one local school they didn't even look at their maths, so that was mm. quite interest, interesting. Um, and that was the first school as well, actually. So um, they, they didn't even look at their maths. Um, and then the other two subjects they looked at were um, science and history. Um, and I, I felt quite pleased that they were looking at science because as I've shared here before, um, it was one of those, um, it's one of those things that people forget, you know, it is a core subject and it's not sort of optional. Um, so I think that went um, well. 
lots of conversations with staff um, in terms of getting into lessons. Um, I also think it's one of those that if you know your school and you can be honest about things, then that works um, really well from the experience that I've witnessed over the past few days. Um, I, I will just share, um, I won't take up lots of time because it's not about me and Ofsted tonight, but I will share one um, funny thing, which um, I, I did actually think one inspector wasn't going to make it out of my room alive um, because we, we start our, we, every Tuesday we do times tables tests. Because of COVID, there is a gap in some of my, in, my, in a lot of my children's learning. So that's one of the gaps that we're trying to fill. And uh, I had a class and I said, um, you know, right, five minutes, go. It was silent. The inspector walked in and we, we've all been there. You know, when the inspector picks the wrong child to go and talk to, <laughs> well, on this occasion, she went and spoke and he looked at me. He looked at the timer on the board and then he looked at her and he gave her a one word answer. And then she carried on and you could see him looking at her as if, say, we're doing a test. Anyway, he did the same, but she obviously asked him, about was everyone doing the same and he explained he then went to a girl in my class who is 12 going on 22 whose eyeballs rolled all the way around the room when she was spoken to by the inspector and so and I thought she was going to kill her because he was like you know I'm doing a test and later on both both the boy and the girl spoke to me and their exact words were if she didn't know we were doing a test, how can she come in and watch our lesson and know how good you are? And I thought, yeah, that's a fair, that's actually quite a fair point, really. But ultimately, for us, my view was, I think the head teacher and the leadership team knew knows where we are as a school, and I think that that's something really important, and it needs to have that aspect. Um, my only sad point, and I think we've talked about this um, on the show before, certainly the show a couple of weeks ago when um, Doriano was my guest was looking at the fact of um i'm not sure how much um credence and how much um consideration is being given to um what um everyone went through through lockdown and through covid um yeah. and i know being a middle school that has been a big impact um on us so i know our seven our year eight especially um have that and so we we've got those aspects and we've got to recognise where the gaps are. And I think that's one of the things that actually a head teacher would do, should be doing and with their leadership team in terms of what, what do our children need? And I think that's something that I would suggest Ofsted need to consider more, not what the prescription is, but actually let's listen to what we're being told. What do these children need and go from there? So that's just a personal one for anyone out there. And I so, totally agree. I totally agree with you on that, Mark. You know, coming from a perspective of, you know, the children have had a rough time. They really have. And not being able to mention the fact that they had that two-year gap. And for us in primary, for those early years children, that's when their communication and language skills are, are formed. And they have not got the breadth of vocabulary. They haven't even had the conversation in those early years that they, they should have had. Um, so that is challenging. The system needs to be more collaborative with us. It needs to be more supportive. It needs to be more of a coaching model rather than a judging model. I agree we should have safeguarding audited, but it should be a straight line down the middle. You are meeting the criteria to be a good school or you are not. And these are your areas that you need to meet to do that. But this idea of outstanding and good and so on, it, it just doesn't work for me. It never has. When I was first um, in Oxford back in the 90s, we had seven grades. 
How ridiculous is that? And uh, well, funny enough, we, we raised that a couple of weeks ago because when I was talking to Doriano, he's a bit younger than me and he, he hadn't been through that. And I said about the seven grades, wow. um, I talked about that lesson. And I said, you know, I mean, my, my one was always, you know, what happened to satisfactory? Because if you go into hospital and someone's making satisfactory progress, then you're not actually too worried about them, they're not going to die. Um, but we, we did a funny, you, you know, and we, it was one of those things that actually you've just touched on that we said, you know, you, re, you know, it's a case of, you know, this is what you're doing well, this is what needs to be improved and mm. actually getting out of this pass fail and actually having it as a, a coaching model, which I know yeah. plays very much to your own heart because of what you do for fellow leaders. That's right. And I, I believe that if we can really think about our impact as experienced leaders and as coaches and knowing that our leaders have the answers they can identify the problems most definitely and um, but as coaches we can go in and be supportive and guide people as well that is going to be the best model going forward not a model where you're out to catch people out over silly pieces of paperwork um, what is happening at the heart of the school and are these children learning that would be my basic question and making progress of course yeah, absolutely. And I think that that idea of, of you know, and using their knowledge and experience from across the school, you know, and actually, for me, if you had, I mean, my personal one would be change the model completely and actually have Ofsted in, in an area, for example, for a term. And then if they come and see your school, they can just say, oh, well, you know, we've been in this school and, you know, you, you've, you've identified that this is, a, this is something you want to address. Well, we've been in this school, go and have a look at them and actually linking yeah. it up. And I think that that would be, a lot more supportive, almost like the old HMI route that there used to be that we yes. seem to have lost a little bit. But, you know, that's that's one that hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll see where that goes. But I know that Ofsted are obviously trying to recruit inspectors as well. So who knows where it will go and who knows what we will have. But you, you've picked up something there. And I, and I want to, because uh, we like talked about um, Ofsted and had a little chat about that, something that I want to ask you about, and it's, it's something that I sort of advertised was, the core purpose. So as a head teacher, how, with challenge of Ofsted, with the challenge of COVID, all of those things, how do you, how would you advise people? Or what's your advice, I suppose is the best word, in terms of maintaining your core purpose? How do you do that with all these competing demands? Well, yeah, a huge question, um, but I'm going to try and make it as simple as possible. So any decision we make at our school, we always say, what is the purpose and what impact will that have on the children's development at our school? So I know as a head teacher, you can be drawn into so many initiatives that are out there. And there are some very good initiatives there which can have a positive impact on children's progress. Um, but anything we do, we say, what is the purpose? And, and my core purpose really is to ensure that every child in my school flourishes. I want them not only to have excellent well-being, I want them to have excellent access um, to their education to ensure that they make the most progress they can be. We have three Bs, um, Lebri. We want the children to know who they are, their being side of things. We either want them to belong, we want them to belong to their families, their school, their local environment, their local community and the wider world. And then we want them to have aspiration to know what they're going to become. Um, so I, I believe that everything we do in planning the curriculum and planning our values-based education is 
based around those three Bs and asking that question about everything that we're presented with. And that, and that's and I'm glad you've mentioned that because I obviously I know about um, the values based um, curriculum and the in actual fact it's not just a values based curriculum it's actually a values based way of life I would say at your school. Um, yes. so that, that might be something that maybe um, some listeners aren't um, clear on and this is a good opportunity just to remind people listening do send a message do um, get involved if you want to chat I know that Lucy will send out and say to people about chatting but can you just explain how does how what is values-based education and then i suppose why did you choose that for ledbury why was that the approach you wanted to take okay so um values-based education was something i was introduced to at my previous school by somebody called bridget knight um and bridget and neil hawks were really driving values-based education way back in the 80s in Oxfordshire. And uh, Neil particularly, this, this is, was his baby when he recognised that children really weren't uh, cherishing the relationships that they could have in school and not valuing what they had in life and losing that language of respect and cooperation and caring and kindness. And he wanted to ensure that children had that vocabulary so they understood what difference they could make to the wider world. So values-based education is the core of what we do at Ledbury. We have um, 12 values, or 11 values actually, because we're not in school in August, that are our B values. And they form the heart of our curriculum. So this month, for example, we're thinking about how we can be resilient. And we will draw in examples um, throughout the world. Obviously, it's Black History Month this this month. This week, we're talking about religious and worldviews in school. And everything we design in the curriculum is based around the value that we are focused on. We talk to the children about, in their relationships, how will they show that they are being determined or being caring or being kind? How do they show that they are being wise? We give examples. We um, use fantastic role models and material. Every lesson we allude to those values. It also forms our behaviour policy. Um, our behaviour policy is just centred around responsibility and everything within the behaviour policy is based around the values. So. If children do have an issue where they um, may have fallen out or um, they are challenging each other, we ensure that they have the language, the common language of values to address their concerns with each other. But also all the adults in the school, I have over 60 staff at Ledbury, and all the adults in the school use the language of the values. Um, it is a way of life. And we believe if the children develop this ethical vocabulary, which is really modelled well by the adults, then they will grow up to be responsible citizens and make the right decisions as, as they progress through life. Um, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's a wonderful a model. It's a great toolkit. Um, and it's the beating heart of our school. Uh, that's an absolutely fabulous way, fabulous to describe it. And talk about that um now i'm going to ask you to cast your mind back which obviously is you know possibly a challenge for you but how did you, how did you because this is obviously this is an initiative uh, you know sort of like lots of others and i i know that in the 
crowds. We've got people that are listening that are Depsy heads, and we've got another co-head. We've got um, other leadership people, and we've got middle leaders that are clearly aspirant. Um, so my question is, how did you? One of the challenges is winning winning people over. How did you go and convince people that actually values based education was the way to go? Because it, it's a success now, and we we know that. And although you had seen it. How did you do that? Because it can be one of those things that people feel is, you know, pink and fluffy and cuddly. And where's the impact and where's the where's the robustness? So how how do you go about winning people over? What advice would you give to sell that to people? And I know that's going to be teachers, your SLT, the the parents, the children. How do you do that? Okay, so um, when I first went to Lebury, that I invited all of the staff to come and visit me at my previous school, and I really listened. I think as a leader, that would be something that I would say to any head, uh, any well, anybody in school, but particularly in leadership, um, listening is underrated as a skill, and it's one we really need to develop and enhance and um, harness and actually learn to do properly. So I invited everybody to the school and the key theme that kept coming out was, um, Julie, when you come to Lebury, the behavior is the most challenging aspect of what we do. Um, behavior, behavior, behavior. It just kept coming through. So uh, when I, on my very first day um, at Lebury, I spoke to all the staff and I said, Look, I, I really want us to um, address your behaviour concerns, but we've all got to be together. We've all got to trust each other. So if there was one gift you could give your pupils by the end of year six, what would it be? And interestingly, I got them all to write down on a piece of paper what their gifts would be. And guess what they were, Mark? They were the values. Yeah. They were responsibility. They were hope. They were friendship, they were happiness. All of those words were values words. So I took them all in and the teachers didn't see each other's at that time. Um, and I put them in a box and I wrapped this box up in gold paper for the first assembly with a big bow. And on my very first assembly in front of all the children, I said to them, look, I've got a gift for you all from your teachers. This is really special here. And this is what we're going to work out on at Lebbury. All together, your teachers and me and you, we're all going to be a team. We're all going to work on this. And I uh, got the oldest child and the youngest child out to open the gift. And I asked the children, what do you think the gift might be? And they could see it was a box. And they were saying things like, oh, it's plans for a swimming pool. Or, you know, <laughs> they had these crazy ideas. And um, anyway, when they opened the box, it was all of their teachers' words. And I read out each of those words to them. I said, your teachers want you to have happiness. They want you to have kindness. They want you to have respect. And I said, the first word we're really going to think about is respect. And we're going to learn how to respect each other. We're going to learn how to talk about respect. We're going to learn about our behavior, showing respect. But more than anything, you're going to learn to respect yourselves. And that was my starting point. Now, that is not a magic wand, as you can appreciate. I still no. had children lined up, you know, outside the head teacher's office every day because the lunchtime supervisors, you know, uh, you know, so-and-so's done this, so-and-so's done this. But what was remarkable um, 
was that I said, it's a no shite in school. Nobody ever raises their voice above my level. We are going to deal with this through using these values that all of us have agreed on. So the staff were on board from day one. The staff could see that what they wanted for the children was the same as what I wanted for the children. And um, at that point, I think they they knew it was something very different, very different to what they'd experienced before, and they were willing to give it a go. And it probably took three years before I truly felt it was not just words pasted on a wall, that everybody was role modeling, everybody believed it, everybody was breathing it, and the children knew what it truly meant. Uh, that's, I mean, that's amazing. And that's, you know, and, and, and thank you for sharing that. And I'm sure everybody else will find that, you know, sort of useful because I, I know that's obviously would have been a big change. Uh, I mean, something that, you know, I think was really in, in, interesting there and was the inviting the colleagues to your um, to your previous school and actually seeing what was going on. I think that that's that's something that, you know, I, I've not not heard of um, as something. I think that's a really interesting concept. So. I suppose the question that, that then follows from that was that over the three years, and you know, at, at the top of the show, I alluded to what's going on in politics, you know, and the changes that we've got going on governmentally. But you know, to take a moment, you know, that you're saying that took three years. How did you manage your? Uh, although you knew it was going to work because you've seen it work, how did you manage your desire for it to be in place? quicker because you know making that change and and part of that is also the external judgments where we are supposed to make things happen quickly how did you manage that within yourself because that self-discipline you know must be you know sort of really tough to manage yes um and when i say three years i mean three years to the point where i felt we really had embedded it and everybody yeah. got it um, I think that within the first six months, we made some very quick wins. And I would suggest that to any leader, look for the quick wins. So just silly things. I remember, you know, this was 2006 and I have just gone through the menopause. So forgive me. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I do remember we had these things called the yellow doors um, because the school has got lots of in and out areas and, and separate buildings. And what used to drive the staff mad about the yellow doors, the yellow doors would shut if you went through them and you couldn't get back into the school and you'd have to knock on a classroom window and a member of staff would have to come round and open the yellow doors open and it was so disruptive to the classes and to the lessons so within the first two months I changed the yellow doors to blue doors that would open both ways and just little things like that change in the staff room and then for me it's about creating the optimum learning environment Mark I truly believe if you have an environment that um, really supports children's learning, that is decluttered, that um, supports children and adults and is a great place to be, that has a common effect, particularly for those, you know, we call them the tricky children at our school, those children who need help with self-regulation. Um, so I did a lot of um, putting skips in the car park. I think, you know, probably now we're probably up to 50 or 60 skips during my time there. Um, so we did a lot of that, sorting out the areas. What did we truly need? Let's keep it simple. Let's keep it supportive. 
let's make sure that whatever we have here, the purpose of it is to support the children's learning. Um, so those early days were about the organisational elements, really, the technical elements, making the environment conducive so it was calm for the staff to work in. And if the staff were calm, the children would be calm as well. But the other C, it was, it was about consistency. So in those first six months, when you still had those awkward children, um, I was so consistent, you know, to the point that I had to really grit my teeth sometimes, um, just to role model that for the staff, to show them that it can work. Children need unconditional love. They really yeah. do. Uh, you, we know this, don't we, from our work, listening to Dave Whitaker. Children need to be the heart of every decision you make and know that you are the adult, they are the child, and they need your unconditional love. And that's what I tried to, to put in place. I asked every teacher, every member of staff in that school to show unconditional love, whatever their role was in the school. I also took away hierarchy. I It really does rattle me when I go into schools to do work and I see the pictures on the entrance hall and you have the senior leader team at the top and then you might have the cleaners and the caretaker and so forth at the bottom and it's all hierarchical. I just don't understand it. You know, everybody's there to, for the children and uh, we may have different roles, but who we are should be consistent throughout the school. So consistency um, won over as well. And when I started to see those quick wins and those changes, I knew that within the three years, um, I'd get the school to where I wanted it to be. That's brilliant, and, and you know, and, it, and it's great. And it's you know, because although you know, I've known you a, a while now, actually, just being able to hear this is you know, is, is brilliant for me, and you know, hopefully for the listeners as well, being able to pick that up and you know, think about your own school. Are there questions that you want to ask? Julie, because you know, Julie, you know, can share about those things if you want to challenge her. Maybe this idea, you know, of no shouting. I know we've got some secondary colleagues. You know, how does that settle with you? Different schools have different um, different things. The you know the unconditional love. I know a fair few of you were here last week um, thinking about um, Krista. She talks about unconditional positive regard. She also mentioned. Dave Whitaker, so and he's been um, on BBC News, so some of you will have seen him on there. Um, so just you know, think: how, what, how, is there anything you want to either challenge Julie on or ask her about? Um, so you know, do get in get in contact. Um, I just want to explore one one thing there, um, Julie, and then we're going to not take a break. But I just I want to do the adverts. It give you a chance to have a, a a drink and lubricate your your vocal cords because I know talking, you know, sort of over, although we do it all day. Uh, you know, I don't want you to go into your half term, you know, sort of which is two days before mine starts um, mm -hmm. with, you know, with, no, with no voice. Um, so my question is, um, and, and I may explore it a little bit further in a different way, but was there, did you lose any staff during that point because of this? Because they felt that, you know, if you're going to sort out behaviour, you were going to sort out behaviour and actually this this was a change. And I suppose the flip side of it is you, you've coached other other um, head teachers, you've coached other leaders. Obviously, I don't want to break any confidences, but people will have gone through that. How do how again, how do you manage that sense of fear of, well, I know this is the right thing, this is my core purpose. 
I will end up, as Jim Collins talked about in you know Good to Great, I will end up getting the right people on the bus and in mm. the right seats. But mm. how did you, did you lose anybody? And if you didn't, what about people that you've worked with? How do you manage that process? Yes. Yeah, so um, in my school, when I when I did take over, there was a couple of temporary members of staff who, yes, they did. You know, they did leave. They didn't stay the journey, and it was right for them to move on. Um, quite honestly, but there weren't any long-standing members of staff that I um, lost, although I believe the previous head had had quite a big changeover. Um, I was very lucky to inherit uh, young staff at the time. And when I think now I've been through a lot of engagement, marriages and, and children, I feel like I'm grandma to them all, quite honestly. Um, but they, those who have stayed the course, and that is the majority of them, you know, we, we didn't, as I say, lost one or two, um, they have totally believed in what we've done. And, and I must say at this point, um, Mark, I don't want anybody to be under the impression that we have a school of angels, because we do not. Every year we are reflecting and rewording our policy. We every term we are thinking, have we made the right decisions? Have we supported that child enough? Have we met that child's needs? And we do get tricky children coming um, to our school from other schools because we have got good re reputation for inclusion. Um, we have got the capacity and the skills to support those children, but it makes it tough. It does make it tough because um, those children do take up a lot of time. They take up a lot of expertise, but I will never ever turn a child away. And, and that is fundamentally where my heart is. Every child deserves a chance. Every child deserves to be loved and every child needs to be supported and their needs met. And when you do get to a position where you feel you're not meeting the needs of a child, you have to think of another route. You do have to think, am I doing this child the best service? So when I coach other leaders, um, both in this country, you know, and nationally and internationally, um, I would say it's the same problems that come up all the time. It's about people. How do we get people to be consistent on our staff what do we do when they don't get what we want them to do as head teachers or, or senior leaders so a lot of my work is around understanding behaviors behaviors that are rooted in different personalities and um, i use a profiling tool called see me um, but i've also got um, myers briggs experience as well so we look at those who are thinkers in the world, teachers who lead with their head, who like to have detail and analysis and facts. And then those people who tend to lead with more of a feelings preference, a values preference. And we try to understand the different perspectives that people are coming in, coming from. And I think as leaders, this area has not been explored enough. I know certainly the work that I do with leaders when we do this work it's an eye-opener for them and it helps them to communicate in a different way and if we can get communication right as i said before if we can really listen and we can get communication right that's when con consistency ensues and the school can really get to the heart of its work that's that's amazing and i think that's something that's 
that you know it is fundamental and you know actually having that recognition and as they say you, you'll have that but I suppose the flip side and the development because you know you're right you haven't got a, a school of angels and you know it's right that people recognize that and know that but so how do you how do you have or how do you feel in, empowered with the, the the structure of your school and the values-based education to have the challenging conversations that you must have to have with parents how do you how do you do that because in terms of the context of your school you know your school is really the the town school isn't it you know so that's where yeah. people are people are going it's not you know there isn't the conversation of oh would you like to go depth to the school down the road sort of thing actually you've got it so how do you how does that affect you having those difficult conversations that you will have to have yes um we are I call us the microcosm of the world because I have children with the widest range of disabilities, the widest range of needs, um, with the you know, most diverse backgrounds as well. So the key to it is relationships again, isn't it? It's communication. You have to make those relationships with the parents and the families. And as we all know, some parents' experiences of being in school was not good and they come in ready to pick fights and they don't want to get on with the teachers and they you know they come with their own baggage so again it's about creating a safe space i am fortunate at, you know physically at the front of my school i do have a wonderful facilities where parents can come where they're not coming into the head teacher's office and i would say to any leader you know try and create a space like that if you have the the finances to do it um, so that parents can go in there and, and be supported. But equally, it's, you've alluded to it before, it's the right people in the right place on the bus. I've got amazing wellbeing teacher, Carol, who has fantastic relationships in the community. Her sole job is to link with families. And um, she has those tough conversations, as do I, as does my Senko, as does Rachel, my co-head. Um, and we work as a team. We, we definitely work as a team and we have to be honest and truthful to these parents. You know, safeguarding particularly, it's tough. We know it's tough, but on a daily day, we're having, uh, daily, we're having conversations with those parents about our concerns. How can we support these parents and what needs to be done, what we can do as a school, what they should be doing at home. If we um, go in being nervous of parents' reaction, if we, you know, we, we're in those relationships, then it's not going to be good. But if we trust ourselves to know that we're coming from the heart and we have the child's best interest, this is the most important thing, we want the best for those children, then those conversations can be enabled. And you have to go in with a positive mindset and the ability to have an open conversation. No, and I think that's absolutely fundamental. And I've got to say something that I've said before, and I think it like chimes with something that you, what you've literally just said there, is I've never met a parent that actually wants their child to fail. What they might not be able to do is either articulate or action how they can best support them. But I've never met a parent yet, and I'm sure, I don't, I don't doubt whether you have either, that wants their child to fail, they just need our support to help them succeed. Totally, totally. Um, every parent wants their child to, to have the best education, uh, you know, and, and for us to be able to meet their needs. You know, some parents 
are not going to agree with our philosophy. Some parents are going to disagree with the perhaps the assessments we're making or what we're recommending or even what we're asking them. But as long as prof as professionals, we have the child's best interests at our heart, even if that does mean we have to make referrals or have those difficult conversations, we know we're doing it in the best interests of the child. Yeah, and I think, you know, and it's that that culture of trust and that, I mean, obviously your longevity at the school is going to buy into that, but actually the, the word you mentioned earlier, that level of consistency, because actually if you, you could be, you could have been there as long as you have, and if you change everything all the time and it's like, oh, there's a nice shiny ball that I've been on a, on a conference for, or I've read this book or I've seen online, actually people don't know where they are. But, you know, from your approach that you've described so far in the show, um, I think you know that's that that's what's going to give the parents that confidence to know that there's that authenticity, even if they're not agreeing, they at least know that you're you're saying something that they they they're expecting what you're going to hear, what they they're going to expecting to hear what you're telling them. I suppose. Yeah, and I I mean just flipping that, if we reframe that, the, the most important thing is we listen to the parents. That yeah. when we invite parents in. Uh, to have a conversation, you know, I'll, I'll say to the parents, look, the, we have a few concerns about X, um, but we want to listen to your views first. Uh, is there anything you're experiencing at home that we need to be aware of? And, and truly listen. Don't listen with a view to answer back or have your own stories. Listen to be absolutely curious and fascinated, to absorb what those parents are saying and acknowledge that they want to probably engage with you and get things off their chest. And it's amazing if you can create that culture of trust, that's when you're going to get somewhere for that child and enable um, signposting or the support to be put in place. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's the, that is that thing. It's, it's I suppose it's what, it, it, what you've just said is what I was actually articulating to some of my year eights last week when, you know, there was a bit of a falling out and there was an issue. And and I said, you actually need to listen to each other. And I said, and I mean, actually listen to hear what each other's saying, because you're not really disagreeing. But the trouble is, you're not listening. You're just waiting for the gap so that you can have your say. Listen. And, and, and that's exactly what you're saying there. You do it with the adults so that actually you get the you get the bigger picture and you get the story behind what you're seeing yeah spot on mark and you know if if everybody could teach listening at that depth from a very young age what a different world we would have absolutely and you know it just you know sort of goes back to something that we touched on earlier on about the fact that you know that is going to be one of the gaps that we're seeing lower down i mean my school we've got children going out to forest school at a local primary and i was talking to one of the teachers there and they said the impact they've seen in the early years in terms of the behavior but that that listening and that having to engage with others and being aware and the whole concept of others it mm. is missing from some of our children and that's something that you know we not only need to teach teach it but actually recognize when there's gaps and how we fill them Yes, and it need, as you've just said, it needs to be taught explicitly. We need to give children the opportunities to develop that relationship and that understanding of self and others and the environment that they're in. 
Yeah, well, yeah. Let's be honest. It comes back, you know. It, it, it comes back to something you've already shared on the show. It's your three Bs, isn't it? You know, if they got a sense of self, that's their being. But actually, yeah. being aware of others, then that's their belonging. It's that. And Roy touched on it um, a couple of weeks, two weeks ago, with the whole concept of the child development. You know, they go from them being the centre of the universe, and then there's others, and then there's a community, and that whole layering. And, you know, it's it, it's fundamental. So I'm going to take a, a pause there, um, give you a chance to have a quick drink. I'll do the adverse. Just to um, pre-warn you, and again, um, please do get in contact. I, I'm thoroughly loving um, talking to Julie, and I can see from the number of people we've got in the space that you're clearly loving listening to her. But it is an interactive show, so please feel free to get in contact, either challenge Julie, ask her a question. You know, this is an opportunity to have an experienced head teacher and qualified coach to actually, you know, be able to give you answers to some of your questions and be able to give you some support and also point you in the directions um, for things. I know Krista did it brilliantly last week um, for people listening regarding MFL. So please do, you know, get in contact and use Julie's experience from there but Judy what I'm going to touch on when we when I come back after the um the messages I'm going to read out is how do you how do you develop your team you talked about not having a hierarchy but clearly you have uh, you're going to have an SLT um and Liz how do you go about establishing establishing your SLT and, and really in all ways in terms of the appointment and then when they're in when they're in the role because that's going to be important for colleagues you know in terms of also what do you think they should be getting um and what they what should they be looking for if they go for those roles so if we pick that back up in you know just a couple of minutes while i just read out the adverts so okay. just to remind great stuff, thanks julie so just to remind everybody um of the two adverts the first one um is to remind everyone on Saturday, it is this Saturday, I've been advertising it for all, all the way through my shows, the 22nd of October at ETC venues, St Paul's in London. We have got the uh, fabulous Charlie Burley, who's the teacher's health coach for the rewriting wellbeing. Um, he's doing a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher. And we'll look at nutrition, movement, mindset, workload, and wellbeing. There's gonna be a range of speakers, Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger, to mention just a few. The day is going to be full of workshops, talks, and time for you to network with like-minded colleagues. Brunch, lunch, and all refreshments are included. And this is a non-profit event, so all proceeds will go to the amazing education charity, Ed Support. Don't miss out. It is this Saturday. So try and start your half term or maybe end your half term if your half term is this week and make sure that you get yourself along to uh, to ATC venues in St Paul's. If you're interested, go on the Eventbrite website to find out more and just search Rewriting Wellbeing. The second ever is, um, again, the Witherslack Group, who are a leading provider of specialist education and care, and they need people like you to help them achieve even more. Witherslack, you'll get all the resources and support you need and you'll be offered a clear path to career progression and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. Witherslack are currently um, looking for people because they've got some fantastic career opportunities and so if you're interested check out their website www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers that's www with a slack group.co.uk forward slash 
careers. And for anybody joining us, I can see you've got a couple of people just joined there. Um, I'm talking to the fabulous Julie Reese, and we're talking all things headship. We've explored an awful lot. We've talked about the story of Julie becoming a head in the school that she's at now, the fact that she's um, a co-head teacher and has had that for the past year or so, having been head teacher at her school for 15 years. We looked at the changes and how Julie maintains her core purpose and her core purpose is very much embodied by the phrase that she said, every child deserves a chance and every child um, needs to be loved. And we looked at the fact that um, Ledbury Primary, where Julie is co-head teacher, has a values-based education. And it's not just the curriculum, it's not just what's written on the wall, it is lived, breathed and embodied through everybody. And what I um, just asked Julie before I just did the messages was the fact that how do you build an SLT? Because clearly, and I know you know it's part of what you believe, it's not just all about one person, it's not about a head teacher. Your comment about taking the hierarchy off the wall proves that. But how do you go about securing the best SLT that you can? And then what do you do um, when they're with you? What do you think schools should do in terms of training, developing their SLT, Julie? So I'm very lucky, Mark. I have the most amazing um, leadership team. I have two wonderful deputies. Rachel, who's my co-head, is my deputy for three days a week and then head teacher for Thursday, Friday. And we are both supported by the wonderful Marie Waters. Um, now, we are fortunate that we've been a team. We've been a, a strong triad working together for the last five years in those roles. And um, we are also have um, Kate Mason, our wonderful Senko, and four phase leaders, uh, Liz, uh, Charlotte, Sue, and Katrina. And one of the things we've worked on um, over the last few years, just before COVID really, was resilient leaders elements. Um, I am a resilient leaders element consultant. And the work within Resilient Leaders makes us very aware of four aspects of leadership. Uh, we talk about what I do and who we are. Um, and that's really important to me is that we understand that we all have different roles, but within that, who we are, are is about our values, how we relate to each other. So the four elements we look at are the clarity of direction. So what is our strategic intent? How do we unify the purpose of what we do? And how do we do that with determination? So each of the leaders is very familiar with this language. The other part of what I do is our resilient decision-making. Um, sometimes we have to be robust. Sometimes we have to be creative. Sometimes we have to be versatile. Um, and that we can make those decisions and admit when we make mistakes, that's really important. So that's on the what I do side of our leadership. The who we are side of our leadership fits into leadership awareness. So that's awareness of self, awareness of others in our team, and awareness of the environment that we're creating around us. Also aware of the external pressures that are on us, um, things like Ofsted, changes in government policy and so forth. Um, and then the final element of who we are is our leadership presence and we look at authenticity serving uh, and our intentions as well and within rooted within that are our own personal values 
So when we put those four areas together, we have really robust conversations as a team because we know each other's strengths and that is then um, put back into each of the phases. The, the leaders go back with that. And as I've mentioned previously about um, behaviour, you know, personality profiling, everybody knows who the thinkers are in their team and who leads with their values. Everybody knows who the extroverts are and the introverts. So because we do have that common language of knowing each other really well, we are able to challenge without being overly sensitive. Um, I truly believe in Patrick Lencioni's work, uh, the five dysfunctions of the team. And the bottom of his pyramid is about building trust. But you can't build trust unless you're able to be vulnerable. And vulnerability can be missing, I feel, within leadership teams. Sometimes we have people who try to mask maybe, or maybe have the, their own uh, low self-esteem, or who are controlling, and they're not willing to show that vulnerability. But without vulnerability, we will not be able to have those open conversations where we can call each other out. And that's why I love working with this team. We get things wrong. We get things wrong all the time. But we look at what we do. We challenge each other about what we do. We look at different ways of doing it without falling out. We have robust conversations where um, people will question each other. But ultimately, we look at the core purpose. Of what are we doing and the impact on the children? And that's how you build a, a leadership team. You look for people's strengths. You look for what their passion is. You look for what sparks them, and then you develop them. And is there a worry? Because obviously, you, I know you said you've got the, you've got the, um, you know, you've got a lot of staff that have been with you for you know over time and so on. But how do you how do you cope? Because some people will be worried, I know, and there'll be people that are leaders that'll be worried, and maybe even middle leaders that are working with. Uh, so senior leaders that are working with middle leaders or middle leaders with staff. How do you cope or have that concept of I'm working with these, but it could mean that I'm going to lose them and they'll go somewhere else? Because whilst there's a sense of pride, you've got them led eyes, then you've then got to get somebody else in. H how do you cope with that? Well, it's all about growing leaders underneath them as well, isn't it? So we very much talk about leadership without title in our school as well, that everybody's leader. Uh, the work of Robin Sharma, I love this concept of, uh, you know, if you were best in the world at your job, what would you be doing that you're not doing now? So we talk all the time. So there's a layer underneath the leadership team who I know would be biting at the bits to come through and, and be the next leaders. But also, I would hope the school would attract new leaders. I want to empower these leaders to go on and, you know, and lead wherever they want to lead, whether that's in another school or, uh, you know, if we became part of a mat, we're not at the moment, but we're, we're talking to other schools about starting our own mat at the moment. And I would, could certainly see opportunities for them there. Um, all the time, I, you know, I'm, they're all they're doing their MPQH, four of them are doing their MPQH at the moment. Um, they'd all make great head teachers. But do you know, um, when we come to appraisals and we, we talk to them about their future plans, they love what they're doing at Ledbury. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to push them out of the school, 
but certainly I would say to anybody who's looking for heads, I've got some great leaders who would make head teachers. Um, and I would then have to grow, continue to grow new leaders. That's brilliant. You know, and I think that, I think that's absolutely fabulous. And um, guess, guess in terms of that, what, what advice would you give to people? Because, you know, as lead, the number of leaders we've got on the call is, you know, sort of is, is great. So what, what I would ask, you know, what would you do in terms of recruitment? Because there is a recruitment crisis. And we've talked, I talked in previous shows about the fact of, you know, if people aren't happy and, you know, clearly if staff aren't leaving your school, they are. But there are schools out there where people actually have toxic leadership. They've got people that are being, you know, they feel that they're mismanaging, you know, leaders are mismanaging the school. But you've also got people that, that are struggle, will struggle to get the people on the bus. What advice would you give to leaders about actually how do you recruit effectively? Because that's something, you know, it's not about a glossy brochure. It's not about um, actually trying to put it on paper. How would you get people into school what's your way of recruiting people or how have you supported others for doing it you've got to promote the ethos you have got to get the ethos right i would i say to any teacher who's looking at leadership or, or any person who's going into teaching the only way that you are going to judge whether you're going to be happy in that school is by visiting and talking to the people who are there and working on the ethos that you want in your school to reflect what you believe as a leader is your number one priority. And I understand values-based you know, education is not for everybody. Everybody has their own views and vision on leadership. But if you're not being your most authentic self and aligned to your own values as a leader, then your school will not reflect that. You cannot go and be ahead of a school where the values are jarred for you. If your intention as a leader is to be all about outcomes, then that's your choice and that should be reflected in your school. Uh, I happen to be a person who believes in ensuring that children absolutely flourish while they're in the school. That's emotionally, mentally, physically, academically. And I would hope, you know, we've had open days for the last two days, I would hope that anybody who comes sees that's what we're about at Levy Primary School that that's what drives us because that's what's aligned to my values so I would encourage leaders to look what do they stand for what, what does their strap line say about their school ours says determined to succeed the first thing it says is love life and learning because that's what I believe in and if you can't speak passionately and authentically about that then you're not going to get teachers on board you're not going to attract the right leaders to your school. So look at your strategic intent. Look at your vision. Is it communicated clearly? And ensure that your values truly shine, that they're authentic. And get a balance of leaders on your team if you can. Get people who are thinkers. Get people who are extroverts and introverts so that you do get that balance of personalities and then work on the team. But if you are your true authentic self, then you are more likely to draw um, the staff that you want to your school. That's fabulous. And, uh, uh, and I think that's and I think that's really important. And I suppose one one Kelly, and, and admit, although you know, I don't know your local area and your context, but it's going to be different for everybody um, here. How do you know about 
making um, or trying to appoint and recruit people that reflects the local demographic. And I'm thinking in particular, you know, about um, ethnic mix um, and, and having that diversity, because that's a challenge that lots of schools will have. Um, how, how do you, how would you address that and what advice have you got on that? Yeah, I think, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion was, you know, it's such a big agenda and rightly so, it should be the, at the heart of what we're thinking about. Um, I know that my good friend Hannah Wilson, who I do a lot of coaching with, um, she drives that agenda um, at the moment. And Diverse Educators is a great website um, to go to visit and do wonderful webinars and seminars. Um, so let's get into the local um, universities, the teacher trainer places, and see which students are coming through. Let's promote our own schools. Let's get out there and have a look in the community and really push the fact that we need everybody in our schools to make our school a vibrant place. And there are different roles we can have in our school. Not everybody needs to be a teacher. I'm thinking about my well-being lead. You know, she, she's although she's a qualified teacher, her strength is in organising all the pastoral side. We have such diverse um, roles in our school at the moment. So let's ensure that our schools reflect what our communities need and meet the needs of our children. I'm aware at the moment, you know, we're in we're in Lebury and we have some children from Afghanistan in our school at the moment, and we haven't got um, you know anywhere for them to go to to go and pray as a community. Um, they go to pray in school, which is wonderful, and we have a place that they can go to, but there's no community for them. Um, so that's something we're trying to do at the moment is, is ensure that anybody who comes to our school that we can find a community for them to belong to. No, absolutely. And I think that and I think that um there is is really interesting because you know, although you've stressed it and you know that the fact is that you know you do have challenges in, uh, at your school and Lebury does, you know, it, it does is a challenge and that's why I said earlier on it's important for people to know you know you are the only school you know that you are the only primary in the in the town therefore people you know that's where the people have to go and that's why you call it a microcosm and i think that that's something that's you know vital but pointing out that actually you've got children from afghanistan that's a challenge i mean some of us i mean we had it at our school we've got some um ukrainians that have come over and that they are those challenges um how do you how do you cope and this is a topic i know it's been all over the news and it's going to be pushing even more i would imagine over the next couple of weeks when we look at what's happening with um the financial statement from the government but how do you manage that then with um finances because there's not only we've we got the unfunded pay rises but you're talking there julie about doing things that are meeting the needs of the children but they're not necessarily things that you're going to get funding for and trying to have those those people how, how do you how do you do that because that's a real concern for people totally and um we are in the position where you know there's a fall in birth rate um in our area so we don't necessarily have the full number of children in our school that we would like um you know i have a, a pan of 60 and my reception children they're very lucky but there's less than 40 children in those two classes um and that you know you can imagine with 20 less children for the budget that that's a lot of money 
So we look for opportunities. We look to liaise with local businesses. Um, we look for grants. We, you know, you know, we're looking around all the time, but also being very mindful that we want to support families in our community as well. We work very closely with different organisations in Lembury. We've got a fantastic organisation called Leaf, uh, which is a charity, and they come in and they support emotional well-being. Um, they bring in volunteers to do gardening projects for the children. Um, they are currently talking to us about doing more family support work. Um, and I think we have to be outward looking as leaders now. We have to look to see what our local community can do to support our families. We have the food bank, we have the uniform place where everything is there for the families to ensure that they can come to school well fed and that they're dressed. And, um, you know, as they come to school, we can provide breakfast. We can really support our local community and the needs that they may have. And we know it's going to be very stressful. We know that we have got to open our doors and listen to these families and do the best that we can for our children so that um, they don't go without. No, and I mean, and, that, and that's fabulous. But I mean, I, I suppose the other thing is, you know, it talks about finances, which there is clearly, you know, a limited source of, and you're, you know, pointing out some of the things that people can do and they can explore them in their own areas, the charities and all those bits. Um, and I think, you know, the challenges that we're going to see, I mean, you've hit on food banks and those elements that I think we'll have. But I suppose my other question, the other finite resource that's there is time. How do you manage the time? And I suppose that's in two two parts. Um, one, not to take, I know I know that this is the, the part of the day job, but how do you manage the time for all those things that you're not taking your eye off the day job in terms of the children and being in school and the education of them? And the second part is, how do you find the time so that it's not impacting? Because I'm sure if we weren't chatting tonight, you could quite easily spend an hour and a half doing extra things. There's always more that you could do. So how, where does the time come from? How do you do that? Um, time is the most valuable resource we have um, in life. Um, staff are the most valuable resource that we have in school. I, I think there's a couple of things here I'd like to unpick. The first thing is you've got to be realistic. Um, and I know, Rachel, you know, my co-head won't mind sharing this with you because this is the first time we've been co-head. And uh, she had a long list of things she, she was hoping to achieve on Thursdays and Fridays when she was head. And um, she just said the reality of it is very different. When you are operational and uh, things are going on, it, you know, until you walk in a head's shoes, you should never, ever criticise what they're doing because it is tough. The day-to-day -day running of a school is really challenging. So in light of that, you have to find time to look after number one, and that's you, because what you are outside school makes you are what you are inside school. And a part of me, Mark, you know, I've, I've been in education now for 37 years. Uh, and that's a long time, uh, you know, uh, but in my own years before that, my own education when I was growing up as a child. And um, if there would be one piece of advice I would give to people in the younger years who are just starting out now is make sure that you make the most of looking after you. So I get up at six o'clock. I go for a walk with a, a fellow head teacher. We have a chat about the day. 
Um, and then I make my way into school, but I'm not at the school gates at quarter past seven, banging on the door and opening up. I make sure that I nourish myself here, you know, have a chat with my husband. Then I go in and start my day and make sure I don't overload my calendar and my to-do list because I do know throughout the day things are going to arise which will need addressing. You cannot be too overly ambitious with your time. Do not beat yourself up if you don't achieve everything on your to-do list. Have a to-do list. I have four quadrants on my to-do list. That is, uh, you've got to do, you've got to delegate, uh, you've got to delay, and you've got to dump. And those four Ds is like Stephen Covey's uh, quadrant of priorities. Um, do, delay, delegate, dump. Uh, and that works for me. Every day I look at that and I can tick things off. And have a great team around you. That's the other thing with time. Make sure that you're not doubling up on things. As a head, I am in a fortunate position that I do have a great team. Marie, my uh, other deputy, she leads on curriculum. And we talk about it, but I don't need to worry about it because she's the one who's driving that and I trust her implicitly. We do not need to be in the minutiae of everything as head teachers. We need to learn to trust. That's why we have a leadership team. Um, we have a school dog. Um, he is wonderful. He's called Bailey. Ten minutes every morning I take him for a walk at 20 to 11 because that gives me some time to go out of school and reflect on my day. Um, I'm not there till 7 or 8 o'clock every night because what would that be doing for my well-being? So when I come home, I might do some yoga, some gentle exercise, address non-urgent sort of email type work rather than trying to do strategic documents. So life is rich. It's a tapestry. But enjoy your life. Enjoy the journey and don't overload yourself because you'll never, ever get to the end of that list. That's the nature of the beast. No, absolutely. I think that, and I think that's absolutely, you know, fundamental. And I think you know that that I, I love that. I've just tweeted it out that that do delay, delegate, and dump because actually, and, and I'm hoping that we're getting out, you know, a little, uh, getting out of it now. But that concept of the, um, you know, the the, he the superhero head teacher and you know the the people that were coming in and they were going to solve all the problems. And actually, I, I think you know the advice that you're giving that I'm hoping that listeners are picking up on is that whole concept of team that whole concept of purpose but actually it's not all about um you and you know and being a and that idea of being able to switch off um i mean i don't know how what your team are like but one thing <clears throat> i often do when if i'm doing any work with staff in schools but i would often ask and it's interesting especially from you know i would say ects but i would ask how many colleagues have the school email um, set up on their phone and, you know, and the alerts. And I'm like, well, why? You know, you don't, you know, and about having it. And I think there is that concept of technology is great, but it actually can almost chain us to what we're doing and, and how we're doing it. And I think, you know, your concept of, no, I go out for a walk and I do this and I, I take that, you know, I mean, for me, you know, <laughs> for me personally, it's um, what's married at first sight. So I'm quite sad that that ended last night. But I think, you know, you, you need to do it, don't you? Totally, totally. You you have got to become the person you want to be in school. 
and um, if you just live and breathe school 24 7 then you won't become the personality that you want to be in your school and you will lose all that ethos that you want to talk about i mean for my sins i go and watch hereford um play football on a, on a saturday and i love it i love football you know i love being anything to do with sport i love going to the cinema i love reading i love walking because that is my life as well as my school i love my school because i live my life no i think yeah and that's it you know and I've, i mean personally i've always had an issue with people that talk about a work-life balance so i think actually work's an important part of my life but and it can't be separate but actually it is a it's a part of my life it isn't my life i mean you know i'm sure I'm sure my wife would disagree and say no you know sort of in terms of being a workaholic and doing things like that but i've actually really improved on that and find that you you've got to make you've got to make that and having a hearing from someone as established in leadership as you hopefully that will give people you know some good pause for thought and you know thinking about what do they do you know and what could they change and how do they do it and it's sort of like a time i'll just sort of say you know sort of this is the last sort of well just under 10 minutes now for the show because i'll do a wrap up and you know sort of summarize some of the key parts there but um so if you want to get in touch, if you want to share a message, um, it's been fabulous listening. I mean, whilst I'm talking to Julie, I'm making lots of notes um, myself. So I'm sure lots of you are out there, but please feel free if you want to ask Julie a question um, or you want to challenge her, or if you want to put a point across, then please do um, get in contact. But um, what I, well, I want to sort of like address sort of something that I, I know it's okay, uh, you know, where you are, because clearly we've picked up, Julie, that you're, moral compass is incredibly strong that's why you've got a values-based education but what advice and you may have had to work with um head teacher colleagues on this and leadership colleagues but how do you how do you advise a head teacher to maintain their moral compass and you know i say that as someone that's worked in in a school where the head teacher did cheat on sats and actually, you know, it, there is that real pressure and they, they did it because of the, the pressure they felt. And again, it's easy. You said, you no, know, don't, you know, about judging head teachers and walking a mile in their shoes. But I think, you know, it is easy to turn around and say, oh, well, you know, it's the wrong thing to do. It's clearly the wrong thing to do. But there is that thing, you know, sort of people, you know, they, they've done it because of pressure. How do you advise people? What, how do you maintain your moral compass and I think from primary colleagues, that is something in particular that is there because people will often say, well, everyone does it. You know, if we don't do it, I'm going to let the children down because other people do it. What advice do you have on that one? Yeah, it's a good question, Mark. And I, you know, sadly, we do have to acknowledge that that does go on um, because people truly do believe that the outcomes that they get will judge, you know, judge the school and um, this is one area where I do think Offset have made improvements because they come now and talk to the children about their work and they look at the work and they talk to subject leaders it's not just on outcomes or of course they do look at the data to a certain extent um, but I do encourage colleagues you've got to be your most authentic self and you're doing the children no service whatsoever if you do not uh, assess them properly 
if the teaching and learning is good, then you will be able to see the progress me measures, even if the children don't reach the expected standard. And that's what it should be about, really. Let's look at their starting points. Let's look at where these children have come in and let's really celebrate the progress that they make. Because, you know, some of our communities are really, really tough and that you're coming in at the lowest starting point you should be able to demonstrate that the work that you're doing in the school is having a positive impact on these children so these children can go on to achieve but if we inflate end of key stage two stats results that's not good for them going on to their high schools it's not giving anybody um, any help whatsoever in their lives and surely you then have to live with that as well as a leader so I would really encourage all head teachers to to think about, you know, why you're doing this. And if you are that desperate that you are thinking about it, then it's time to really talk to your governors, your chair of governors, your AMAT, your local authority, whoever it may be, and say, look, you know, we need some help because I'm thinking about, you know, this in this situation and it's not doing me any service or the children within my school. I think that's fabulous, and that 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 point about having a conversation because you know it, it's going to be a build up, isn't it? It's going to be something yeah. that, that they're going to they're going to have that that creep and being able to have that honest conversation. Um, you, you've mentioned governors, we haven't really talked about them, but obviously you know we we did start with Ofsted and we talked about um, you know leadership and the judgments and that. But how um, how important and any advice about how to develop an effective working relationship with the governors? Because clearly, you know, they're, they're a key part of the leadership and management of the school and they're part of the Ofsted inspection. But the flip side of it is, you know, it's a relationship where you are the, the professional and, you know, but they're then working. How do you, and I'm obviously not, I'm not asking, you, you, would, you must get on with them, otherwise you wouldn't be there still. But how do you advise people to work with, but also manage their their governors because you know head teachers could get away with a lot because if governors don't know what to ask so how do you do that julie um so yeah i've got a, a really strong governing board um and it changes all the time as we're all aware you know parent governors come and go particularly i've got some really strong co-opted governors now staff governors have been with me for a very long time actually um but it's about ensuring that you're you're um, signed up to that code of conduct that has got to be your number one priority that everybody is clear about the code of conduct and the expectation the terms of reference are clear for each of the committees at the beginning of the year you set your vision your strategic priorities whether that's a development plan or, or strategic vision in whichever way you present it they're involved in the school self-evaluation as well encouraging them to come in and be in a breathing part of the school so last week we had an SEND review in our school um, my lead on that Kate Mason she had the SEND governor link governor come in was with her all day um, with a school improvement partner working together as a team and she she was telling me today actually she said I felt so supported by our governor he wrote a wonderful review at the end of the day but he was very challenging throughout the day as well the support and challenge is just so important and we should not be um we should not feel as though we're being criticized when challenge is there 
we should welcome the challenge. And it, again, it's not so much what is being said, it's the way in which it's being said. And that's when I would take grievance with the governor is yes, please do ask me about my head teacher's report. Please come and challenge me about these aspects, but do it in a way which is framed within our values-based framework. You know, do it in a way where we can have a decent conversation, a, a real dialogue about it. Um, but then that's come with many years of experience, Mark. Whether I'd be saying these words to you when I was a head teacher at 36, that, that might not be so. So, you know, it does come with experience knowing not to feel as though you're being criticised. No, and that's brilliant. And I would say that that also comes back to a message that we've had earlier and part of earlier part of the conversation, the importance of actually having that professional friend and have, having that coach and having people alongside you and someone like you, Julie. And that's, that's the perfect place to finish the, the conversation and, um, and where we are. So a huge thank you to you, Julie. You, um, your deputy and co-head has been listening and we've had a lovely message from Rachel into the show saying, it's been a privilege to work with Julie for 16 years. Every day she is an inspiration and the most wonderful leader. And I, for one, and I'm sure the listeners tonight would wholeheartedly endorse that based on everything that we've listened there's so much to take away um just to pick up um, on a few points that i'm going to take away the four the three key purpose the core purposes for julie she says it's important for people to for them to be being for them to be belonging and for them to be becoming that whole journey and for the children as well as for the adults remember that listening is a key underdeveloped skill and that really needs focus and it needs um teaching don't forget a common theme that we've had throughout my shows children need unconditional love and that that's something that they need to know that they are absolutely there so that they've got that and as leaders remember that everyone's a leader you should know your team and you need to make sure that you don't overload your calendar and julie does that through do delay delegate and dump and the last two things julie talked about establishing a school with trust but if you want trust you need to be vulnerable and the last one from me which is really important is make sure you make the most of the time for you we, that was actually the message that came away from my very first show of um, this half term and it's a nice one to finish the show before half term on um so a huge thank you to you julie for coming along this evening giving up your time um hopefully you'll have a lovely half term next week um starting tomorrow but with you and paul doing something exciting um everybody out there hopefully if you're on half term next week you have a great time please remember there won't be a late show next week um because it's half term and i'll be doing something exciting but i will be back the first wednesday after half term which for me is wednesday the 2nd of november i've got a guest to confirm and hopefully once i've confirmed them then i'll be able to um let you know what we um what we've got and just got a final message to finish on a bit more love for julie from kate smith julie is an incredible values-based leader and an inspiration to us all a champion for headship and a head teacher and head teacher well-being what a beautiful note to finish on thank you julie thank you to all the listeners and take care of yourselves thank you Thank you, Mark. Good luck, everybody. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. 
Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.